Welcome to the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast, where we discuss with experienced and successful sales leaders what works and what doesn't in the sales profession. Join us as we tap into high-performing sales leaders and their passion for field sales. We've lined up for you some of the smartest movers and shakers in sales leadership to share their formulas for success and the tricks of the trade. Join us as we pull back the curtain, giving you actionable insights and strategies that you can use with your sales team. Welcome and thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Field Sales Leadership Guide podcast, where we get to talk about all things outside sales. I am your host, JT. Joining me, and and maybe, I, I don't know if this is a like the first official, but maybe making your first, a first official debut as the co-host is Mary Keogh. Um, if you're a new listener, Mary is the head of marketing with Map My Customers. And maybe sadly, more often than not, sales and marketing teams are not in lockstep and they don't mix well, sadly. So that is not the case here. And the sole reason is because of Mary's laser focus on the actual customer themselves. Um, She focuses on the customer's needs, their wants, their challenges, their obstacles. And because of her level of engagement with the customers, she brings immense and invaluable insight. So Mary, excited to link arms with you. Oh, thank you so much, JT. That was an awesome intro. Maybe the best intro I've ever had. I've been on a few podcasts, so that was great. (laughs) Yeah, you have your, you have your podcast legs. I still do not. Um, why don't you go ahead and set us up for today's topics, though? Yeah, so JT set it up really well. Um, as a marketer and as a marketing leader now at Map My Customers, um, customer obsessed. I think customer obsession is the key with marketing and sales. Knowing the customer's problems, what they're experiencing day to day, and then how your product fits into the, that day to day is so critical. So JT and I were just chatting one day about, you know, what we're going to do with our positioning and how we're going to go to go to market. And I was like, it's so interesting that the problems across all of our customers are very similar. So we've been noticing kind of four big trends in outside sales, and these center around problems. So problems that outside sales teams are experiencing. And those problems are number one, an aging and retiring workforce. Number two, younger sales folks and leaders expect data and technology in their day to day. Number three is leadership. So maybe not necessarily sales leadership, but company leadership is suddenly scrutinizing outside sales activities, especially post-COVID. They're asking questions like, is outside sales still how we want to go to market? Is this still a valuable motion for us? And then number four is this desire craving for data. Everyone's talking about it. Um, everyone's le- They're hearing other companies are leveraging data. They know they want it, but they're not really sure how. How do I get this data? And then how do I apply it? So would love to get a your take, JT, on whether or not you see these same issues and trends in the outside sales world. And then we're going to just dive in deep onto each of those and see what we're what we're seeing. No, I I, I totally do. Uh, This comes up in just about every single one of our calls in one way or another. And what I like about all four of those, they're all intimately linked and really dependent um, 
on one another. They all have a, a big domino effect there, both directions. So let's let's start with aging and retiring workforce. Um, I feel like this is somewhat talked about at nauseum in all other sectors and realms of the world with like you, the the tidal wave of baby boomers. I mean, this is this has been like any topic. Um, there's an there's an impact on many many topics. Um, when we specifically tie it to outside sales, it's lagging. How can it be the year 2023 and we still have companies that are literally caught flat-footed and dumbfounded without a game plan to replace their top tenured aging reps? The ones that have driven revenue for for 25, 35 years and then they and then they get to the the retirement notice and go, "Uh-oh, what do we do?" So um I'm passionate about this topic. Um so let me level set just a little bit with this. I, I've got a couple of theories of, of one, if, if, you're, if you're under the age of 50 and you've been in technology sales for any, any given period of time, it's super common to have had many stops on your resume, job hopping or finding a better role for you and your family to provide better for them. It's, it's just standard. If you, if you switch that to outside sales and you're over 50, it's actually very common to have stayed at one, maybe two stops along your entire career path. And you've, you've become synonymous with your company within your territory. Everybody knows Joe within your territory patch. And you've done a fantastic job of building relationships having product knowledge that you can just pick up the phone where they're calling you um, and you, you've earned the trust and built relationships over time. So having had that reputation build up over time, it matters. Mary, have you had any uh, recent conversations with, with folks that you, you hear the same? Oh, absolutely. So I come from the industrial manufacturing world. I worked six years in-house at a manufacturing company worked for a year and a half at an agency that only serviced industrial and manufacturing clients. And we found this exact same problem. So workforce is retiring. Same thing you just said, JT, too, where they've been there for 15, 20, 30, 40 years and have built these relationships. And something that popped into my head while you were talking about that stark difference between software versus outside sales is it has to be that face-to-face. So what I heard from sales people when I was in-house at an industrial company was like, they're friends with them. They're friends with their customers. Like they do business and they're like, yeah, we go golfing. We go out to dinner. These are people who I've known for 15 or 20 years. So that relationship building. So not only are they driving revenue for the company, which is fantastic, but they have these really long-standing relationships where it's not really about a company anymore as much as it's about a person. So yeah, that is very interesting. Annual hunting and fishing trips are standard across a lot of these different industries with outside sales reps and their customers. Yeah. Um, what One of the dangers that I hear whenever a company is caught flat-footed is they're handpicking the next rep to replace Joe who's retiring. He's had 30 plus years in that territory. One of the top performing reps. What happens 
during either the recruitment or the hiring or the the repositioning of that that new rep from one spot in the company into this this territory that's being abandoned by the retiree, the communication is, ooh, Jimmy, the new rep, he's stepping into a gold mine. This is one of our top performing territory patches. Or during recruitment, you've got other current sales reps telling the new guy, you're going to make a fortune. Joe, who just retired, he retired at, at 60 because he did so well in this territory over the last 25. The problem is, is that it's not able to be replicated because there's no mirror of this is what Joe did to hold up, to explain to Jimmy, these are the cadences, the frequencies, this is what's important to this customer, but not important to this customer. This is the product order history and the the cycle that they renew and reorder products. Don't ever come on a Tuesday morning because of this. Um, Never mention the Baltimore Ravens because of this. Um, All of that, that head knowledge goes with Joe, the retiring rep. And little Jimmy is literally attacking a territory that should be ripe with revenue, but he's doing it blindly. And he's got to go and build all of those relationships that have been lost because of Joe left. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the most common solution I see, solution in quotation marks, because it's not a very good solution. The other one I've seen is when someone retires, the company is like, well, I don't really know if that rep had a lot to do with it because so much of outside sales management, especially in the industrial and manufacturing world, is account management. So it's really just maintaining current relationships, not necessarily hunting for new business or if they do, it's just a very small percentage of their commissions. So the interesting thing I've seen is leadership saying, well, 90% of Rick's territory who's retiring is people who've been with us for 10 or 15 years. So they'll probably just keep ordering from us. Maybe we don't even need an outside sales rep in that territory anymore. So that's the other um, quote unquote solution I've seen come come to fruition. Yeah, I think um, I, I've been using the word Joe, and I'm going to use it again, but in a different context. Joe from Jasper Engines, um, Joe McDonald, VP of Sales, about 180 reps. They actually incentivize and require those relationships to be maintained. Um, Joe specifically, he measures what he measures what matters. Those are his words, not mine. Um, and And the big thing there is he does not want to pay a rep for not doing the work. So the new rep that steps in where the company naively thinks that he's just going to be answering the phone, taking orders, um, he needs to be incentivized to go and nurture and build and reestablish that connection to make sure that the phone continues to ring. So um, there's there's a bunch of different... um, fallacies out there where somebody thinks the phone's going to continue to ring, but it old relationships do not necessarily mean future success. Yep. And I think that um, goes perfectly into our next trend, which is our younger salespeople and leaders coming into the company expect data and technology. So we have this aging and retiring workforce who's built their entire career and driven profit for a company using only relationships And there was no system for collecting and analyzing data, or they were just starting to, and they're not really sure if the data quality is there. So now we have these younger people who are expecting you to give them 
not just a territory, but what you just described that Joe from Jasper Engines does. Here's how often you see this person. Here's the sales process we use. Here's your incent- incentivizers for you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, so what are, you, what are you seeing here, JT? So there's, there's a couple of things. I, I, I really like this top topic. I, I'd like to start with expectations. Why do young salespeople and leaders expect data and technology? Um, and then after that, we're, we're going to divide it into two parts, data that makes you efficient and then data that makes you organized and effective. So um, let's start with um, the expectations. Like, why is this even a thing? Look, I'm, I'm 42 years old. So I, I grew up on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the Wonder Years, Boy Meets World and Saved by the Bell. I, I remember running home from the bus stop in late elementary into middle school, sprinting home to catch the second half of either DuckTales or Tailspin. And the reason being, I didn't have DVR. I couldn't like just turn it on and say play from the beginning. Um, I certainly didn't have the ability to just talk into the air and pick my favorite song or binge watch my, my favorite episodes of Saved by the Bell. So I say all of this because, I mean, this was coined 15 years ago, the Amazon effect. Um, but think of Amazon, Netflix, and Spotify. Sales leaders, if you're listening, you are making a grave mistake if you don't readily acknowledge that the personal trends of convenience and speed of your sales rep's personal life brings in expectations that they have for their work life. So I say all of that. Onboarding a new rep. You recruit somebody. Maybe they're late 20s, early 30s. You take them through product training, industry knowledge, persona-based conversations, only to hand them a list of 250 target accounts of which they're supposed to go and see and build relationships in person. All you've done is handed them this list of administrative burdens on their shoulders to go, okay, now, now I, need to, I need to go and parse all of these out and figure out how I can actually do this efficiently and effectively. Um, it gives them a nervous tick that they're annoyed with that. It slows them down and gets in their way. Yeah, um, I saw Anything this. To add there? Yes, like one hundred percent. This is like one of my favorite topics, especially when I was in house. Um, we had new younger reps, so in their early thirties, maybe they had had a sales job before, or like you said, they've just grown up in the technology convenience. Technology should be intuitive and just mold into my day to day. And the interesting thing is. It was those reps who were not using the CRM as opposed to the older reps who it was already part of their workflow. They understood that while it wasn't convenient or intuitive, they knew how to use it. It was just part of their day to day. And it was the new younger reps who we were onboarding who were like, I'm not using this. It's not intuitive. I have to like, it adds time to my day. I'm not going to use it. Yeah. So just totally agree with you there, JT. Yeah. So let's um let's go into the data side of this. We'll tie it back to the aging and retiring workforce. I've I've had the privilege of doing a lot of ride-alongs with a lot of of different industries from med device, med diagnostics, automotive and everything in between. This is the one standard thing of all of the inefficient go-to-market strategies out there. There's 
There's three or four of these sitting on floorboards of cars and trucks everywhere for outside sales reps. And you've got an aging or retiring workforce where this was their version of a CRM for years. Um, (laughs) Some of the the, the best administratively uh, organized outside sales reps take a piece of masking tape and they put in Sharpie marker the dates that that specific notebook covers so that they can go, I think that was in June of 2021. Let me go find it. Oh, it's in that It's in that book. Um, that's not scalable nor repeatable. It's certainly not effective, and it, it does not bring about the, uh, the repeatable business that, that's desired. Yep. Um, let me share this from a data perspective. I, I just got off, um, this, is, this is probably a month ago now, Large med device company. Use Salesforce. They've got about 120 outside reps within within this specific division of their company. They have Salesforce as a CRM. Lo and behold, none of the outside sales reps are using Salesforce. They say it's too administratively a pain in the butt. They're not doing it. So they weren't getting the data. So the brilliant idea was to, you know what? We need that data. Let's compensate our reps and incentivize them to actually log activities and data inside of Salesforce. They were measuring this at the end of each month. So what did the reps do? Wait until the last end of the day of the month. Yeah, <laughs> you're stealing the thunder. So what happens? They all, not surprisingly, ironically, have administrative days on the very last day of the month. For them to laser bang out on their desktop all of the activities that they've done that month. I can't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday, let alone who I've met with and what we spoke about time and time again. So what happened is what's worse than having no data? Having bad data. So in other words, they were paying for bad data just because the reps were going to get paid and they were just poof theory of activity, making it up on the fly so that they would get compensated. So now they're having to pivot. They did all of that because they did not have a rep-facing, rep-centric, easy-to-use, valuable tool or platform for the rep to leverage in the field. Yeah, that is spot on. So... That goes really well, JT, into our desire craving for data, but not sure how to get it or how to use it. So you nailed it. The how you get it is you make it really easy for the rep to use. So you not only to use it, um, but use it every day. So not just on their admin day on Fridays, not just at the end of the month. It's such a part of their sales process with it, building relationships, going out into the field that they're just constantly logging data, but it doesn't feel like logging data. It feels like it's a tool for them to make their job easier and better. This is helping me make money and provide for my family. Yes. If if you have that phrase being leveraged with your team, you're in a great spot. There's one last point that, uh, that I, that gives me a nervous tick and I've never been a, um, a huge data guy myself. Um, I'm, I'm a, Measure what matters. I only want to put something in if it if it has a direct um, ROI on the for me down the line, right? If I'm going to take a note, it's it's because it's purposeful. I'm not typing something out just to type something out. 
where I get a nervous tick is, again, it's 2023, hugely, hugely large companies, mostly privately held, um, where they have no CRM in place at all. And they have rear-facing data only. And what I mean by that, I'll regularly speak with the director of sales, a VP of sales, or they literally do not see the, the downside of what I'm about to say. Well, um, yeah, we, we get our revenue numbers in mid-October with how we performed in September. And, and I look at them and I go, well, how can you possibly be proactive knowing that you're going to miss the number to try to not miss the number? It's, it's, you can't go back and change the past then. And you certainly can't go, well, JT, it doesn't, you have, you have three major opportunities over here. Why aren't you going to see them? Or you have a huge meeting here. Would you like executive sponsorship with this specific meeting? Why don't we go and, um, one of my favorite phrases is lose together. Like if you're going after a big one, bring the band in there. Right. Let's let's go in as a team and win this together. And worst case, we lose it together. Right. So um, backward facing data. It's terrible for everybody. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And then this that point, actually, JT, goes really well into our final point, which is, you know, maybe the data is bad. Maybe there's this desire for collecting data and analyzing the data. So now we have leaders who might not even be in sales right now scrutinizing outside sales activities. Is this still the way that we want to build relationships and produce revenue for our company? So what have you seen here? My favorite phrases are, um, again, measure what matters. And measuring what matters are revenue-producing activities. So if you're going to measure anything, don't measure things that are going to give a rep a nervous tick, measure them and hold them accountable to things that you know are proven to result in revenue. Um, nobody likes micromanagement. It, it makes you feel like a child. It makes you feel that you're not trusted, certainly not valued. But um, in, in this day with outside selling, where customer engagement is, is literally hands down the only way to definitively um, predict revenue, recurring revenue, build relationships, retain relationships, and box out competition. You need to measure, are you meeting with the right folks at the right company at the right frequency? Um, so, I mean, we have a couple of, of customers that map my customers that literally measure, are you meeting with a decision maker? And reason I reason I gravitate towards that all the sales leaders listening right now, you'll probably be able to think of at least one or two reps that that get out in front of customers regularly. But if you actually get into the details, they gravitate to the accounts where they know when they walk in the door where somebody's going to stand up and go, hey, JT, how you doing? And just because I walk in the door there doesn't necessarily I need to either be in that door or with that person. So going back to the measuring, did, did you meet with a decision maker? Are you, are you establishing and building the relationship with the decision maker? Because if I gravitate just, just to the front, front desk personnel, because we talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers all the time, that's probably not going to lead to revenue. So there are things like that where you can coach your rep. Maybe JT needs help getting by gatekeepers. He's great with walking into any door 
but he can't figure out how to get to the decision maker on a regular basis. Yeah, I love that. I think it was um, Luke, when we interviewed Luke from MacTech, who said, hey, my sales team, now granted they're a smallish sales team like and marketing, maybe 15 people, but he's like, we are responsible for 50 quotes a week. That's it, across all our sales and marketing efforts. All I wanna know is, did we hit our 50 quotes? And if they didn't, then they work backwards from there. Then they say, okay, how many has you know sales rep A, B, C, D produced over time? Why is it lagging? Why is one producing more than the other? Then you go back to exactly what you just said, JT, where you can say, okay, what kind of activities are you doing? Um, who are you meeting with? How often are you meeting with them? So I think keeping the keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is the 50 quotes a week is super important. And then when it goes wrong, making sure you have those, um, what you call like lagging indicators logged so you can see, hey, what's going on here? Why are we not hitting our quota? Yeah, I love that. That actually prompts me, prompts my memory a little bit. Um, Church Mutual is one of our favorite customers. They've got over 200 reps that are leveraging that, my customers. And, and one, one, of, one of my favorite sales leaders, his name's Jason Brooks. Um, Southern guy, great leader, leads about 18 team members of the 200. And he regularly uses the phrase with them, you've got to earn the right to quote. So Church Mutual serves religious organizations with all sorts of insurance, but it's it's face-to-face customer engagement. So earning the right to quote for them is getting in and establishing some sort of rapport and getting minute baby sets of data from each meeting. You can't just go in and ask them to marry you on your first your first meeting, right? Um, so it's it's earning the right to the quote. It's earning the right for them to go. Yeah, you know what? Our our policy remove, uh, renews in November. Um, why why don't we start looking at that together? And so it's it's baby steps in earning trust in that relationship, and that is one of the key things that Church Mutual measures. Yeah, I love that, JT. Um, I can think of a couple others, but um, we'll save them for another another podcast episode. Let's do a quick recap. So <laughs> we have our, our four major trends that JT and I discussed. We have our aging and retiring workforce. We have younger salespeople and leaders who are stepping into these empty positions, and they're expecting data and technology to fit into their day-to-day seamlessly. We have leadership is scrutinizing outside sales activities Maybe because they're starting to collect data, maybe the data isn't quite there, maybe it's not accurate. And then they have this then desire or craving for data, but they're not sure really how to get it or how to leverage it. So in the end, what JT and I, I don't know if this is a good conclusion, JT, you can jump in, um, making it super easy and valuable for the rep is the key if you're implementing any kind of sales technology. I would add this, and it's a huge word of caution. So if, if, you, if you've listened to this before, um, some listeners may, may remember, I come from salesforce.com. That's where I was prior to met my customers. Um, the Salesforce go-to-market, I was responsible to get into the, the boardrooms with the C-suite and present reporting, data, insights, analytics. Those are fantastic data sets to have from a leadership level. What we regularly see specific to outside sales teams, if you start with the data in mind, where does all the pressure and ultimately everything rely on the shoulders of your outside sales team? 
So in reference to that med device company that I, I shared earlier, if it's administratively a pain in the butt, you're going to get best case, no data, worst case, bad data. So long-winded way of saying, start with your sales reps experience in mind first. How is it valuable for them? Will it help them do their job? And for the love of Pete, make it easy for them to do their job and stay out of their way then. So those would be my parting words of wisdom there. Yeah, love it, JT. This is a great conversation. Looking forward to more. Thanks a bunch, Mary. Thank you for listening today. Um, If you have any questions for Mary and I, hit us up um, on email, on LinkedIn, and um, look forward to future conversations. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.